Good afternoon and happy Friday to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Coming up on the program today, we're going to talk about housing and what housing looks like, uh, particularly as we are in an election campaign in this province, what residents would like to see and what more could be done when we talk about affordable housing. Also coming up on the program today, some billboards have shown up in parts of Vancouver. You might have seen them and thought, hmm, that's different. It is encouraging people, the billboards that is, are encouraging people to either not have children or keep it at one child. And the group World Population Balance has put them up. And we are going to check in with that group a bit later on in the program and take your calls on that as well. But on the topic of housing, that was front and center at a campaign event earlier today with John Horgan and Selena Robinson. Selena Robinson, who is the NDP candidate for Coquitlam Millardville, is joining me on the line now to talk a bit more about that. Thank you so much for making some time for us. Thank you for having me, Jill. Uh, first off, when we talk about uh, affordable housing, because it is a phrase that gets used so often, how do you define that? Well, we're, we're, we're taking a look at what are people making, what are, what are, what is their, their uh, earning power, and making sure that uh, we have the housing for uh, a whole range of people at different levels of earning power. And what we've been seeing is this erosion of affordability. Even when you have a good job, when you're making a good living, uh, you're still not able to get into the housing market. You're still not even able to find something that's affordable to rent. And so um, over the, the previous uh, term, the previous government, uh, the BC Liberals, we saw housing uh, just become out of reach for, for everybody. And so we've really brought in a number of measures, uh, including that the speculation and vacancy tax that's really brought uh, some of that speculative activity uh, uh, down and make sure that we've brought in uh, housing for people to live in instead of just safety deposit boxes in the sky. So when you talk about the speculation tax and the numbers that are attached to that, how has that actually led to people being able to get into housing that they can afford? Well, first of all, what we've seen actually from a CMHC report that the long-term condo rental housing has increased by over 11,000 units just in 2019 alone. And that's attributed to the speculation vacancy tax. What it, what it said was, uh, if you're not going to rent it out, then you're going to have to pay a tax on this investment property. And many investors said, well, then I'll rent it out. And that's good because if you have more rental stock, it, it, it drops the pressure, right? It's the supply uh, demand uh, equation. So that's a good thing. People, it brought more supply onto, onto, the, um, onto the market. But it also says is that when we're building housing, we're not building for the speculative market. When I was a city councillor in Coquitlam and I would have developer after developer come in and say, we're going to be building, you know, uh, 400 units, uh, all 600 square feet. And I would say, well, where are families going to live? And they said, well, this is what the market demands. Well, the market was a speculative market. It wasn't a market for families. It was to, you know, purchase a condo that you could then flip or sell in a year or two or three, make a lot of money, pocket it. And then the next investor does the same thing. But people couldn't live in them. They weren't livable. And so, again, we start, we've, we're seeing that um, come to a um, uh, a halt in that kind of way. And we're building the kind of housing that people need with two, three and four bedrooms so that families have a place to live, to work, to do this, to raise their families. Uh, and, and we're still in the middle of th- that transition. Uh, when we look at the price of housing right now, though, in the uh, I won't say in the middle, we don't know where we are in the pandemic, but during a pandemic, uh, housing costs, I mean, we've done that story in that housing is the one area where the price keeps going up. We haven't seen the price of housing come down in this pandemic or even before the pandemic. 
Well, what we've seen is the, the curve. The, the, the curve is sort of just flattening a little bit, uh, which is a good uh, indication that we're starting to make some strides. But we put together a 10-year plan because we know that we're not going to get there in two or three years. But there's a, a lot of work still to be done, which is why we want, uh, and we're saying to British Columbians, if you want us to keep going on this file, then you need to re-elect John Horgan. One of the promises in the last provincial election was the $400 rental rebate. That never happened. Wouldn't that have been a way to help make housing more affordable for people? Um, well, it, well, we certainly uh, ran into a bit of a roadblock with the Greens. They weren't supportive of that until we weren't able to move forward on that. And, and while uh, some were certainly saying that that would help, others are saying that it really doesn't make it enough of a difference given where rents are at. And so we've brought in other policies to address uh, rental rate. So we've uh, uh, reduced the cap. Uh, the, the BC Liberals had a 2% plus uh, CPI and we're saying, no, 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 we're redu- that 2% isn't allowable, just the CPI as an annual increase. We've also brought in a rental only zone. We're the only jurisdiction in North America. We're st- we were just starting to see some uptake on rental only zoning to help manage some of the land costs. So you're not competing with um, with condos, with condo development. So that would certainly help. We also brought in legislation requiring all local governments to do a housing needs assessment. Uh, again, when I was a city councillor, uh, I never knew how much housing we had, what the, the, the state of it was, uh, who we were building housing for, or who, who needed housing. We had no idea. So now all local governments are required by law every five years to update their housing needs assessment so that they can be good decision makers about land use and what kind of housing gets built in their communities based on data so that we, we're not at the, at the, um, at the whim of, a, of, a, of a, a developer that says, well, the market's really hot for this. I'm just going to build this because I'm going to make money. What we're saying to local governments is you want to make sure that housing gets built in your communities that meets the needs of your communities, that it's affordable for your communities. And that's going to be a very significant as we go forward. Uh, so kind of circling back to what you were saying then. So to stop a developer, say, from building a building, all 600 foot condos, so, which are livable if you're a single person or a couple. I've seen people live in that kind of square footage all the time. I get what you're saying. That wouldn't be suitable for a growing family. Uh, but so to stop a developer from making it all 600 square feet, from making sure there are two bedrooms, three bedrooms, there are other types of housing... How does that, though, then translate into affordable housing in that the cost per square foot still stays the same? It's very similar. And then it just costs that much more for the bigger units. It's also about getting the right product um, in the right community, because what happens is you get um, pressures built up. So, for example, another place where we're going as government is the the B.C. Liberals didn't allow, for example, student um, universities to build student housing. They just couldn't do it. They just weren't allowed because they weren't allowed to take out a mortgage. And we said, no, 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 no. You can absolutely take out a mortgage. We, we, we fixed that. And we're building thousands and thousands and thousands of student uh, units uh, on campuses. Um, and that's going to free up um, what uh, traditionally had been what you would consider the affordable housing and basement suites and stuff so that students are moving onto campus and we are freeing up uh, low rent uh, apartments, older apartments, uh, basement suites, because again, that has been, um, you know, part of the stock. So we need housing on every, for every um, um, income level. And we are, that's why our 30 point plan, uh, which is a 10 year plan is, is been sort of chipping away at this problem bit by bit. We still have a long way to go. We still have a long way to go, but I have to say how um, um, disappointing it is 
that uh, Andrew Wilkinson thinks that by ending the speculation tax, which is what he's saying, is that somehow he's going to fix affordability. And what we're saying is, no, the speculation tax helps to address affordability. It's made a significant difference. And it's raised money. It's raised uh, in the last year, I believe it was over $150 million came from the speculation tax. That's helping us build the very housing that people need. And so, again, uh, I, I really think he's going in the wrong direction and taking us backwards. All right. Uh, Selena Robinson, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks again so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being with us. We are continuing the conversation talking about housing, housing policy, the phrase affordable housing, which means different things to different people. It's kind of a catch-all that we don't often break down and dissect exactly what it means. Let's bring in Todd Stone, the BC Liberal candidate for Kamloops South Thompson. He's joining us on the line now. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jill. Uh, We started the show talking uh, with Selena Robinson about uh, the NDP plan when it comes to housing and, uh, again, affordable housing. We've heard from Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson that he would like to scrap the speculation tax if elected. How would that help as far as affordable housing? Well, uh, we uh, are going to scrap the speculation tax. And as Andrew Wilkinson said uh, uh, earlier this morning, uh, we're going to replace it with an anti-flipping tax. Uh, We believe that that's what's needed to actually target uh, uh, those who are engaged in speculation. Uh, Andrew uh, introduced a private member's bill that would actually impose an an additional 50% tax on the profit gained from buying a pre-sale home and flipping it before the home is built. That is speculation. That's what I think we all want to... uh, want to eliminate. Uh, the speculation tax, which the NDP have brought in, uh, has, uh, has actually not, uh, not worked. Uh, it, it has driven down uh, the construction of new units uh, of housing across uh, British Columbia where it's in place. Uh, condo pre-sales are down. Projects are being cancelled left, right and centre. Uh, all you have to do is talk to mayors in communities like uh, West Kelowna, Kelowna, uh, even, even in the Premier's own riding of Langford, and the mayors will tell you that uh, this speculation tax as, uh, as implemented by the NDP has really had a chilling effect on on the construction sector. So let's go after true speculators with with an approach that will actually stamp out speculation without choking the broader construction sector. Is that still the biggest issue, do you think? Because I know if we look back 15, 20 years, pre-sales, pre-sale purchasing and flipping was huge and it it was people that were doing it and making a lot of money. Is that still, do you think, the main issue when it comes to speculators? Well, it, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the, the broader issue here is uh, is that uh, the construction, the housing construction sector, is uh, is not uh, bringing online the, the supply that British Columbians need. Uh, at the end of the day, we need we need a lot more housing of all types. Um, you know, market uh, housing, uh, rental, below uh, rental, co-op. We need the whole broad range. And when you have um, uh, taxes like the speculation tax, uh, which uh, might might you know sound good on a bumper sticker but actually has had the effect of uh, reducing housing supply in the province, you're not going to, uh, at the end of the day, see uh, housing prices come down or see rents come down. We, we know since uh, the NDP assumed power three-plus uh, years ago uh, that uh, the you know, benchmark price for homes in Greater Vancouver uh, are up uh, about 4%. Uh, the uh, benchmark prices for an average apartment, if you're purchasing an apartment in Greater Vancouver, is up 14.2%. That's about an $85,000 increase in those three years. And rents are up in Metro Vancouver, $172 per month on average. Uh, that's about $2,000 more per year that people are paying uh, in rent. Uh, this all relates back to the, to the fact 
we're not building enough uh, a product, enough housing product in this province, which is uh, entirely due to, to the taxation uh, that, uh, and the regulatory hurdles that uh, the, the NDP have largely layered on top of the housing construction industry. Uh, isn't that also, though, on the civic level? And we can look at different councils and different cities. So you can compare, say, Vancouver to Langley, and there's huge differences when it comes to the red tape. Isn't that also on a municipal level? No question about it. Uh, when uh, I think one of your earlier callers uh, today rightfully pointed out uh, that when, when you look at the average uh, condo unit, a new condo unit being built in Vancouver, uh, having uh, well over $200,000 of uh, local uh, fees, charges uh, and you know, costs layered onto that one unit, um, th- there's no wonder that, uh, that, that, that life isn't getting more affordable for people uh, with respect to those added costs. Uh, it's also, it also takes way too much time uh, to build uh, a product, a housing product in British Columbia, particularly in Metro Vancouver. So we're going to uh, be bringing to the table soon um, our, our housing plan. Uh, it's going to be a bold plan. It's going to focus on ensuring that a broad range of housing is, is available to uh, available and affordable and accessible for everyone. And uh, you're going to see a, a significant component of that will we'll relate to you know, uh, changes, tax, regulatory, and otherwise that will be about boosting uh, housing supply, speeding up uh, the, the, the development approval process as part of that and getting more product uh, you know, out there for British Columbians to, to, to purchase uh, rent and live in. If a developer wants to build a condo tower and say and, and, and comes with a proposal and says the market wants one bedrooms and studios, we want to build this tower with 600 square foot units. Is it government's job to say, no, you need to have more diversity, you need to be building more for families? Oh, uh, very much so. I do think that, uh, and Andrew Wilkinson uh, says this all the time, uh, it's very, very important for governments to, to play uh, you know, an important role here, the provincial government to play an important role here to make sure that uh, there are housing products being built uh, for, for all British Columbians and in every corner of the province and, and all types of housing. The problem is that's not happening today. Uh, the NDP promised 114,000 units of affordable housing uh, would be built. Uh, well, they, they've actually delivered 2,000 963 uh, units at, uh, as of as of as of this moment. Uh, that's not exactly a pace that uh, that is uh, is going to uh, ensure that how the homes and and uh, the housing that British Columbians need is going to be there um, in in the years ahead. So we've we've got to build more product. We've got to do it faster, and we've got to make sure that uh, that that product uh, is is accessible and affordable for all British Columbians. And do you think that does it boil down to that then that supply is the answer? Because on the one hand, I know. People will say it's not government's job to meddle with market pricing and the market will lead to the prices and see the increases or decreases that happen. Uh, But that's when we're talking about market housing. And when we talk about affordable housing, I mean, there are other types, whether it's subsidized housing, co-op housing and all different other types. You're absolutely correct, and, and you're going to see that in our plan. Uh, we are going to uh, be putting a, a, a plan out that makes it very, very clear that that broad range of housing is what is needed, and uh, there are there are a wide range of, of different types of um, uh, of changes, you know, tax and regulatory, and as well as incentives uh, of, of various types that uh, that uh, c- can be utilized to ensure that the the the, the construction sector is actually building uh, the product that that's needed 
by everyone. Uh, look, nobody wants to go uh, to see just one type of product built in this in this province, and and um, no one wants to see uh, the cost of housing continue to escalate uh, uh, beyond uh, the the spend uh, the uh, beyond the, the financial means of of, of a large swath of British Columbians. Uh, but the only way that we address this is by uh, uh, doing what what government can with the levers it has at, at its disposal to to ensure that the the construction sector is is able uh, to to build um, more product and build that product a heck of a lot faster. So that that will feature prominently uh, in the housing plan that again we'll be excited to to put out there in the coming days. What do you say to uh, the New Democrats' claims then that by axing the speculation tax you would in fact be wiping out millions of dollars that could actually be used to build housing? Well, I think that's a straw man argument, and here's why. Uh, for the, the 2018-19 fiscal year, the uh, speculation tax uh, did bring in $115 million. But because of uh, the, uh, the speculation tax uh, the, and, and, and the 24 other uh, new and, and increased taxes that the NDP uh, have, uh, have brought in in their three years in power, in that same year, uh, the property transfer tax uh, revenue dropped $325 million. So uh, it, it's, 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 it's fine for the NDP to point to $115 million of, of, uh, of new revenue on the one hand and the, from the spec tax. Uh, I, I believe, uh, Andrew Wilkinson believes, our team believes that that, that tax, um, along with the myriad of other taxes and, and red tape that the NDP have layered onto housing in this province, uh, has, has, uh, has reduced in, in a, uh, re- resulted in a reduction of property transfer tax by three, if not four times uh, as much uh, revenue. Um, again, let's, let's uh, figure out what a smart tax and regulatory uh, regime looks like uh, that's going to ensure um, that revenue is there for, for you know, taxpayers, but, but also ensures that, that uh, there are minimum barriers in place for the construction sector to actually build the product, uh, bring on more supply uh, that British Columbians need in the months and years ahead. And just to clarify, when we're talking again on the tax on flipping the paper condo contracts, that's so somebody that would resell before the building is even finished. Would that also apply to other types of builds or say if you purchased a home? I mean, the, the, the prices aren't going up as much as they, they used to be so quickly, but would it be for other properties as well or only for pre-sales? Um, we'll have more details to say about that in the coming weeks as part of our plan. Uh, the, the private members bill uh, that, that Andrew Wilkinson uh, put out there, as I said, it, 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 um, uh, it focused on pre-sales, uh, imp- imposing that additional 50% tax, uh, just to, again, recognize that that is true speculation. When someone is purchasing a product that hasn't even been built yet and, and before it, it uh, you know, shovels in the ground, they're, they're, they're selling it for, for a profit to somebody else. I mean, that's true speculation. Um, and so that was the, the focus of, uh, of, of the, the bill that, that Andrew Wilkinson brought forward. But again, we'll have, we'll have a lot more to say about this uh, as part of our, uh, our, our housing plan, which we'll be putting out there very soon. What if it's someone, though, that's lost their job or has started up a relationship and is moving and can no longer follow through with the contract? Uh, well, there's all kinds of unique circumstances like that that are going to have to be, uh, I, I think, understood and factored into into your approach. Um, but again, uh, if, if you look at the at, at at where British Columbians are today, where they were three years ago, uh, housing is is less affordable. Rents are more expensive. Uh, even even you know you and I talked the other day about strata insurance costs. The strata insurance costs have gone through the roof over the last 18 months, and uh, this government uh, has been tinkering around the edges. 
is what what's needed is a is a bold plan. Uh, we've thrown you know dozen ideas out on the table on that one. We've talked about self insurance. We've talked about banning uh, the uh, this whole uh, best terms pricing um, approach that's used by insurance companies. You know actual measures that would leave money in in people's pockets and bring down uh, the costs of strata insurance. Um, uh, meanwhile, um, the the NDP John Horgan just sort of sits there uh, and twiddles his thumbs. Um, the cost of, of housing has gone up under his watch, and he needs to be held accountable for that. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. We are continuing the conversation when it comes to housing. We started the show chatting with Selena Robinson, now the NDP candidate for Coquitlam Millardville. She and John Horgan holding an availability in Coquitlam to talk uh, well about a few things, housing one of them. We also talked with Todd Stone, BC Liberal candidate for Kamloops South Thompson. They are bringing out their full housing plan in the next few days. So let's now bring in Adam Olson, the BC Green candidate for Saanich North Islands. Adam, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, what is the, the plan of the BC Green Party when it comes to housing and again, affordable housing? Well, I think that we have seen uh, definitely in the, in the past couple of years a, a shift uh, from uh, where we were uh, yeah, following the uh, 2017 election where we were basically uh, going into the uh, going into the legislature with a very, very serious challenge on our hands of affordability in, in housing. Um, definitely uh, uh, British Columbians uh, were really struggling. And while we have turned the corner over the last uh, last few years, I think there's a, a lot more to be done. Um, we're dealing with systemic inequality. And I think the policies of the BC Greens will be rolling out. And I'm not going to get ahead of them uh, here. We will be rolling out uh, housing policies. We'll be focusing on uh, that inequality and the affordability. How would you define affordable housing? Well, you know, I've been in local government and uh, around the table at the Regional Housing Trust Fund with the Capital Regional District here in, in uh, around Victoria, and I've been in uh, the provincial government. And this is one of the areas that is is really uh, the, the definition. That CMHC has a definition, you know, total housing costs no more than 30% for people to be, uh, for that to be affordable. Um, certainly, uh, we have seen growing inequality, and I think the COVID-19 pandemic has, has further challenged that. Um, we, I was part of the, uh, the, the uh, Residential Tenancy Act and the, the, the committee that uh, then-Minister Robinson put together to take a look at renters and, and landlords and, and uh, to try to, to, to find a way to balance uh, those interests of, of both those groups uh, so that we could um, settle down, I think, the, the real conflict in housing in our province. Uh, it, it is difficult because, um, you know, I think that with the growing inequality, with the, uh, with the wealthier getting wealthier and, and, um, and, and in our society, it's become uh, a, a great challenge. And I find it in our communities here on the Saanich Peninsula and in the Southern Gulf Islands. And, um, you know, I think that the government uh, that will be elected will have a, a very serious challenge on their hands and making sure that British Columbians can afford to live uh, where they are. And when we were chatting earlier with Selena Robinson, I asked her about the promise in the last election campaign, and that was for the $400 a month renter rebate or that help to help uh, people who are renters. Uh, she seemed to infer that, uh, again, that promise wasn't kept because of the BC Greens. Well, how do you respond to that? Well, we certainly going into the um, the drafting of the confidence and supply agreement had, a, and I think that it was very clear uh, coming out of that 2017 election that we had 
uh, different policies. It was it was really challenging at the time that those that those uh, policies were put forward, uh, where there was no cap on rent increases, to see uh, how it was that 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 money was going to be able to assist uh, renters and not may, maybe just go straight to the landlord with with rent increases. Um, I think that you know there needed to be uh, means testing involved in that, and and, and from our perspective. Uh, as we started to address the rent increases, then perhaps that was, uh, you know, an opportunity for a discussion. But I think what was important is the way that it was the way that it was profiled by the BC NDP at the time that there wasn't uh, a solid enough um, uh, way to ensure that that money was going to benefit renters and not just go straight uh, to the straight to the landlord. So, um, you know, I think that that there's, you know, we, we've responded to this. Uh, throughout the three and a half years that we had a difference in approach uh, in the 2017 election uh, and um, and in the confidence and supply agreement, it wasn't something that uh, that was go- going to move forward uh, as the, 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 the policy was that they had it. We've also heard uh, from uh, the BC Liberals, uh, from the leader earlier today, saying that his plan would be to get rid of the speculation tax that was brought in, uh, saying instead they want to focus on people who are purchasing pre-sales and flipping those before condos are even built. What would you say to this idea of getting rid of the speculation tax? Well, I mean, there's a a lot of controversy and a lot of work done between uh, the two caucuses uh, and and the, well, all all three parties uh, around the speculation uh, tax. It ended up being a speculation and vacancy tax. Uh, you know, from the time that the BC NDP uh, brought the tax in to the time that uh, that or to the, from the time that they brought the budget in to the time that they brought the tax in was you know the better part of a year. It allowed for us to uh, to, to fine tune it and to and for communities and and local mayors and councillors to raise. Some of the very serious challenges that they felt and the, the impact that it was going to have uh, in their communities. I had this similar situation in the southern Gulf Islands, uh, where, where I think, you know, if if the communities were going to be benefiting from it and, and investments were going to be able to be made in the communities from the the funds that were generated, then that's a, a different scenario. But I think, um, you know, this was one of the policies that uh, throughout this uh, last term, uh, obviously, was very uh, controversial. Uh, I think that it it has been a part of uh, stabilizing housing, but I think that that without it being part of a, a comprehensive plan on on housing and, and addressing um, not just uh, from a policy issue, but also there, there's lots of philosophical things in housing that need to be addressed as well, and it needs to be moved forward as a comprehensive package rather than just kind of frittering around the edges, which is to some extent what we've seen. Uh, and do you think that the pressing issues when we talk about but housing, we've been focusing a lot on market housing, on housing prices, on supply. But of course, there's also the issue of homelessness and the issue of tent cities and the need for supportive housing there. Which do you think or can you prioritize those as a government? Well, I mean, certainly, um, you know, there is there is. Uh, there's a lot of people in our province that are, are really uh, in tragic situations right now, and COVID-19 uh, has uh, further exacerbated that problem. Um, we're seeing growing homelessness issues in, in many communities across the province. People are just not able to afford to pay the bills, and that's putting them in, in, a, in, a, in a dramatic situation. And I think, I think you know, uh, we've long talked about housing-first policies. I, the, the government responded with a 
a similar program to that uh, to deal with the, the COVID-19 uh, homelessness issue that we're seeing in tent cities uh, around the communities. I think what's really important is that we stop viewing this as necessarily just an economic, uh, but it's also very much the, the social issues have to be addressed. And so I think part of the challenge that, uh, that we inherited in, in 2017 when, when we came into the legislature was the fact that from an economic perspective, the B.C. Liberals had built you know, their strong economy narrative basically on the housing and construction market. And that meant that just market forces were determining how the decisions were made, as we could see it. But really, the, the cost of, not, uh, of, of people not having homes, the cost, the social cost of, of, of homelessness and, the, and all of the um, other factors that surround that are so great in our community. And to ignore those uh, came at a, a great cost to, the, to British Columbia. And so uh, it's not going to be a situation that can just be solved. It needs to be addressed with compassion and kindness and love. And it needs to be uh, we need to be recognizing that the people that we see living on the streets or who are one or two paychecks away from living on the street are our friends and family and neighbors. And, and I think we need to stop viewing the housing and, and construction uh, as just an economic factor. It's, it's a social factor and that these are our, these are our family members and, and friends that, uh, that have often, you know, when they fall in hard times, need for us to have a strong safety net to, to help them through. All right, Adam Olson, we will leave it there for today. Thanks again so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. Well, if you've been in downtown Vancouver, some other parts of the city, you may have noticed some billboards at bus stops and other places. You might have done a double take. It's all part of a new campaign that has launched in the city with the goal of increasing awareness and knowledge about the overpopulation of the world. It is called the One Planet, One Child ad campaign. And joining me to talk a little bit more about why this campaign has launched and what the goals are of it. We have on the line Dave Gardner, who is the executive director of World Population Balance. Thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having this conversation. Uh, Why did you pick Vancouver? Well, Vancouver actually picked us. We made the offer to people around the world that if they wanted to uh, have this billboard campaign come to their town, we needed a little bit of financial help. We don't have deep pockets, but uh, we've invited uh, sustainable population advocates around the world to put together a little fundraising campaigns to to bring it to their city if they want. As it turns out, I think doing it in Canada makes a lot of sense since there is a movement afoot in Canada to try to grow the population of Canada to 100 million, which I have to say is loony on an overpopulated planet. So sorry, when you say you got financial help, is that from individual groups that came together and and fundraised? Or or who paid you then to... to do this. Yeah, just individuals, no uh, no official organizations. All right. When we talk about population though, if we look at the birth rate in Canada, it's actually been declining and is nowhere near what some other countries are seeing as far as birth rates. So is it really the most appropriate audience? Well, the truth is everyone around the world has a role to play in solving world overpopulation. The role's a little different for uh, for different people, um, but it's, it's important for Canadians to understand that, one, just because the birth rate is low in Canada, Canada doesn't mean that overpopulation has solved in Canada. Canada's footprint is still massive um, uh, because Canadians, just like uh, you know, people in the United States and many of the other overdeveloped 
countries in the world. It's like called the industrialized nations. You know, we're all, you know, super consumers and, and, you know, really hogs on the planet. And we need to be doing something about that, definitely. But until we, you know, until and unless we really rein our overconsumption in, then we've got an overpopulation problem, and it would behoove us to allow our population to contract back to a more sustainable level. So uh, there's still work to be done in Canada, and even a, an individual, say, who's maybe decided to be child-free. So why do they need to know about this? Well, they could uh, be maybe be more supportive of family planning services in Canada and family planning aid around the world, perhaps. Uh, the campaign itself and the billboards, uh, I get, are, are are meant to have people stop and look at them. How did you come up with the idea for this? Uh, some of the the slogans and the pictures. Uh, one of them, there's a couple. Uh, the the wording writes, "Conservation begins at contraception." How did you come up with this whole kind of billboard campaign? Well, there's been, you know, we actually uh, the idea of doing billboards occurred to us a little over a year ago. So we spent quite a bit of time brainstorming. So some of these ideas come from uh, just activists around the world, some from our board members, some from our staff. And uh, we actually had a board member who came up, came up with the idea, congestion starts with conception, uh, talking about traffic congestion. And uh, so we decided to uh, do a few plays on words with that. So we've got that billboard also up, up in Vancouver about traffic congestion. When we look at population, though, if a couple has two children, that's not population growth. That's zero population growth. Do you, do you feel, are you concerned at all that it might be shaming people who are having, a, want to be in a family of four? Well, there's a, you know, we don't want that to happen. So there is a concern there. We want to be sensitive and we really try to bend over backwards to do a couple things. One is, we're not dictating uh, family size to anyone. It is everyone's own decision. We're not uh, trying to fix blame. I don't know. For some reason, when you talk about overpopulation, everybody wants to figure out who's to blame. And, you know, the truth is it doesn't really matter because, you know, we all have work that we can do on it. And, and I really think shame kind of comes internally. Uh, eventually, you know, a lot of people are ashamed that they drove a Hummer, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> and they, they just kind of came across that themselves as they realized that that wasn't the most, uh, you know, the, the best uh, environmental stewardship that they could, they could have chosen. Um, so we don't, you know, we don't want to judge. And in fact, I'll tell you, I'll share this with you, Jill. I am in my second marriage and I married a woman who had four kids. You know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have made that choice because I've been concerned about overpopulation for a long time. But I don't judge her. I, what I say, what I realize is overpopulation wasn't on her radar screen when she was making those family size decisions. We need it to be on our radar screen so that every, every couple has a chance to make a really informed decision that's going to really impact the quality of life of their children and whether their children even get to live a long life. Why is it do you think we don't talk about it that much in that it is an issue and and it does get raised sometimes when talking about climate change and talking about the future of the planet, but it's not something that you would ever see in a political campaign. It's not something that really is is talked about on any kind of regular basis. Yeah, it's uh, and that's really why we're doing this. It's been brushed under the rug for for several decades. There's there, you know, there have been some big mistakes made in the name of trying to do something about 
solving the overpopulation crisis, and uh, and that and so there are fears that that's you know if you want to solve that problem that that's the only way to solve it. So people tend to jump to a lot of conclusions if you want to talk about it. And, you know, we're seeing that today. You know, I'm certainly I'm not going to lie to you and say we don't get some ugly emails and some ugly tweets, but they're, they're from people who have not just gone to oneplanetonechild.org and read uh, what we're really trying to do and what we're talking about. They're from people who just assume they know and, uh, and it plays on their worst fears. And so we've, we've got to make it okay to have conversations like this so that, we, so that people understand that there are very ethical, humanitarian, voluntary ways for us to solve the problem. We don't need government or big business to legislate or dictate family-sized decisions. We really just all we need to embrace what women around the world have been doing. The trend has been, as you mentioned, to have smaller families around the world for 60 years. Well, I mean, I think the trend has also been more more choice and personal choice, and it does really come down to personal choice and freedom over one's body. Absolutely, yep, yeah. That's what we want. We want to we want to give women around the world. We shouldn't have to give it to them, but we want to support, you know, the 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 gift of that to women that they deserved and have been owed all this time. That that uh, men aren't going to dictate uh, when they get married or when they start having children, how many children they have. Uh, My hope would be that couples uh, have conversations about it and that men should be taking responsibility for family planning. Uh, It isn't all on women, um, but but providing women with uh, the knowledge and the access and the freedom to make those decisions is so important. But isn't this campaign on the other side of that? Isn't this campaign also targeting women and saying if you choose to have more than one child or if you choose to have a big family, you are somehow ruining the planet? Well, those you won't find those words on any of our ads. We're trying really hard not to say that. Um, pe- people, you know, because we've, because we've been afraid of the subject for so long, that seems to be a natural place that some people just kind of think that we're going. All we're really doing is saying, we just want you to know, you know, it's your choice. We just want you to have this information. And by the way, don't panic because Canadian women are uh, having on average fewer than two two children. Don't panic. You're not going to run out of people. <laughs> you're actually, you know, you're actually going to be solving some problems if Canada's population peaks and begins to contract. But that's what we need to be. We need to have that happening in every country in the world. It needs to just be okay to have fewer children. So this campaign is in the U.S. and in Canada. How many cities is it in now? Well, it's so far we we are sort of just doing it one at a time because it costs a lot of money and the, the money isn't uh, rolling in hand over fist to do this. So we did um, one. We did two billboards in Minneapolis for a month earlier this year, and one in Colorado earlier this year. Right now, all we're doing is in Vancouver, but I fully expect and hope that uh, this might inspire people to uh, help us bring it to other communities. Because, you know, and it doesn't matter to me if it's billboards, you know, if it's, you know, guest spots on radio shows, if it's on podcasts, if it's better mainstream news coverage. Um, there's all kinds of places where this conversation can, can be happening. And I'm just proud of Vancouver for 
taking note and and uh, people like you being interested in finding out what the heck we're up to. Uh, you mentioned that you'd had some angry email. Uh, how would you characterize the bulk of the feedback you've been getting so far? Well, um, it's been all over the map. I've heard from people, you know, I'll give you just a couple of the representative uh, comments, I think. One that we frequently have heard is, wow, I've been thinking this for a long time. Thank you for finally saying it. Um, some famous people have reached out and actually defended us on Twitter when we, uh, you know, when, when we've been defamed by people who have been quick to assume the worst about us. Um, you know, there was, there was one news report um, yesterday that had done a bunch of uh, on-the-street interviews, and, and it seemed like a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that we were trying to tell them uh, how many children they could have. And that's unfortunate when we want to, you know, I want to take this opportunity to assure everyone that that's not what we want to do. We really want to celebrate the small family choice, but uh, it's everyone's decision. And as long as you have good information, you know, there are going to be women who choose to have three, four, five, six, or seven kids. It's going to happen. All right, Dave, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for coming on to talk more about the billboards. Appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for the call.